Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode of Truth Tidbits. As we continue reading through the scriptures this year, this is episode 177, and we are in Romans chapter 3. And I'd like to pick back up in Romans chapter 3, and I want to begin reading in verse 19, and we're going to read a few verses here and then discuss those. In Romans chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under or in the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I want to talk about some of these verses today as we move a little bit forward into Romans chapter 3. And Romans chapter 3 is one of the most important chapters in the book of Romans. And prior to this, from chapters 1 through 3, Paul has been solidly building his case, establishing that every person is in a sinful state, standing guilty before a holy God, apart from salvation through the gospel of God, Jesus Christ. And so he is reiterating that here and almost summing it all up for us here. So let's look at this a little bit because he has talked about sinfulness of man in every way we can imagine. Just debased sinfulness, debauchery, you know, all kinds and all forms of evil, idolatry, worshiping the creation rather than the creator, rejecting him, having abusive things with our bodies that are unnatural, that are opposed to the order and the prescribed order that God has established for mankind. When he created us male and female, he has spoken against all forms, liars and and hypocritical people, judge those who judge others, those that have a judgmental, critical spirit, He's warned against those who are judging, especially those who are hypocritically doing the same things. He has also established that the Jews, apart from salvation in Yeshua, have nothing to boast in either because the law itself does not save. And so he has shown us in no uncertain terms that there is no hope for people apart from Jesus. We are sinners before a holy God apart from the salvation that God has provided. 
I want to read a couple of other New Testament passages that speak to this. In Ephesians chapter 2, I want to read verses 11 and 12. Paul writes these words, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Then let's look at the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10. And I want to read verses 1 through 4. We read these yesterday and discussed them in detail. I just want to bring them out again today. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, for the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. The author of Hebrews here, which may or may not be Paul, many think it is, some think it's not, but it's not named who the author is. But the author of Hebrews concurs with Paul in Romans and in Ephesians chapter 2 as well. The condition of mankind who has not believed in Jesus Christ and accepted God's provided salvation is that they are without hope, guilty before a holy God. So in chapter 1 through 3, up to this point, verse 20 of the book of Romans, Paul shows sinful mankind apart from God, stands guilty before the holy God without hope in the world. Nothing else will save. There's no, you can't run to the law and get your salvation there. You can't find it in worshiping the creation rather than the creator. You can't find it anywhere when you reject the only source of wisdom and knowledge and you refuse to have God in your thoughts and in your mind. When you don't honor him, when you won't turn to him, and come humbly and come sincerely before him. You have no hope. You have no hope and there's nothing else that will save, period. So Paul has established that we stand in need of a Savior. And beloved friend, the truth of the word of the living God is this. There is only one solution to the sin problem of mankind. There's only one.
There's only one way to God. Only one. And the Bible tells us exactly who that is. So let's continue in Romans chapter 3. Because through verse 20 of chapter 3, it looks kind of gloomy. Everybody is sinful before a holy God, and they stand guilty without hope. But praise be to God for the little word, but. I love the little word, but, in the scriptures. Verse 21. But now. Hallelujah. There's something better Paul's about to start to tell us about. And it's very important. And we will spend at least another episode or two on this. Probably several over the next few chapters. But now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. I want to stop right there and let's look at this for a minute. In other words, Paul is saying here that God's righteousness, that righteousness that is separate from the law, not bound by the limitations of the law, that which supersedes the law, that which is distinct from and at a space apart from the law, I love this, that which is without the intervention of the law. In other words, the righteousness of God that's revealed to us, it doesn't need the law. It doesn't need any of those 613 commandments added to it. It doesn't have to add anything. It is strong enough on its own, it stands alone and supersedes the power of the law, supersedes the demands of the law, supersedes the limitations of the law. It is without the use or employment of and independent of the law. It's no wonder, it is no wonder at all why Paul started the book of Romans in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it, in this gospel, not in the law, Not in the law. This is apart from the law. This is superseding the law. This doesn't need the intervention of the law. It stands alone. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Hallelujah. It's no wonder why Paul started this whole section with that verse as the backdrop. And now he ties it here with 21, with verse 21 of chapter 3, the righteousness of God. He was talking about the righteousness of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now he says the righteousness of God, that same gospel, that same righteousness that is revealed in the gospel, 
is apart from the law. It doesn't need the law. It's independent of it. And it doesn't have to have the law mixed into it at all. It's no wonder why he said it is the power of God. It's that dynamite ability all on its own. In it, he says, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. It is, you know, the root word, when I looked up the root word for that, it literally means shining. The righteousness of God apart from the law is shining. If you'll remember in another place, Paul refers to the gospel of Jesus Christ as the light of the glorious gospel. The glorious gospel indicates that it's shining, it's weighty, it's got power, it's got beauty to it, it's shining. This righteousness is now shining. It's been brought to light. It's revealed. It's made apparent, shining forth. It's making something visible that has been hidden and unknown or unnoticed prior. Notice also that he is telling us that this righteousness of God, which he will define in the very next part of these passage of this passage, this same righteousness of God that has the gospel in it with the power to save all who will come to him, this same righteousness of God that is separate from and in no need of the law to be added to it. Notice how he tells us here that this righteousness of God is witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, he's referring to the entire Tanakh, the entire Old Testament scriptures, the entire Hebrew scriptures from Genesis through Second Chronicles or from Genesis through Malachi, depending on whether you have an English Bible or a Hebrew Bible. He's saying to us that the entire Hebrew scriptures, the entire Tanakh, the entire Old Testament, the law and the prophets witness to this righteousness. That word talks about how they give evidence or give testimony. It's like a legal deposition where you go under penalty of perjury and you attest to the truth of the facts in that case. It's bearing testimony of confirmation, declaring distinctly and formally. I love this. I want to read you this quote from Thayer's. It says, To affirm that one has seen or heard or experienced something or that he knows it because it was taught by divine revelation or inspiration. And Peter already has told us that the authors of the Old Testament, the authors of the Tanakh, were holy men of God, moved upon and inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Paul also bears that testimony when he wrote to Timothy, and he said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So the law and the prophets are giving testimony to, they don't hold back testifying and affirming and confirming 
that this righteousness of God is revealed and it is all about the gospel of Jesus. So let's consider how are some ways from the Old Testament that this is true. Let's just examine a few. There are many, many, many that could be drawn, I'm sure. I just want to refer you to a few. The law, the law testifies to all of this that Paul has been talking about, the sinfulness of people and the righteousness of God. Let's consider how. Well, the 613 commandments prove the need year by year by year for continual sacrifices. Why? Because one wasn't strong enough and wasn't possible to cover it and to make you perfect and to do it. It couldn't do it. It couldn't erase sin. It couldn't take that away from you. It couldn't free you from the power of sin. All 613 proved that because they had to keep coming back. And every year the high priest had to go in on the Day of Atonement and make another sacrifice. I want to read to you again in Hebrews chapter 10. I just want to reiterate verses 3 and 4. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. It was not possible, and the law testified to that. The law gave evidence and confirmed that fact. The law also confirmed the truth about what Paul has addressed in chapters 1 through 3 and how he's teaching us about the righteousness of God revealed in this gospel, in this message, and how the law and the prophets testify to that through their types and shadows. For instance, the Passover lamb and the Day of Atonement, all of the sacrifices of the Old Testament system, they prove that man needs salvation. Man needs a covering. Man cannot do it on their own. They are sinful. And they need something and someone to save and to cover their sins. And it also proves through the entire sacrificial system that the innocent dies for the guilty, period. The priesthood testifies to it because the priesthood testifies to the need for a mediator, a go-between, between man and God. Sinful man and a holy God, we need a mediator. That's what the priesthood was all about. It proves our inability to be holy. For instance, let's just consider one episode. The mighty God had delivered them from the power of the enemy and brought them through the Red Sea, brought them out of the bondage of Egypt, done mighty, mighty signs and wonders. I can't even imagine to have seen those with my own eyes. And so this generation that has seen those with their own eyes comes a few months later, makes it to Mount Sinai. God calls Moses up. Moses goes up 40 days later. What are they doing? They're worshiping a golden calf that Aaron has created out of, out of the gold and so forth from the people and what they've brought to him 
as if it's a god for them, and they're worshiping this god. Just a short time after they had seen God split the Red Sea, God bring them out of Egypt, bring them across, and then kill the Egyptian army. They had seen mighty miracles of God, and yet they were unable to remain holy before the Lord. To They couldn't. They didn't stay in that condition. Sinful mankind is unable to be holy on our own, period. The prophets also witness and testify and give evidence to the righteousness of God. Now notice this. The Psalms are included in the whole of the Tanakh or the whole of the Old Testament. And Jesus did at one point refer to them as the the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. And there was a point where he spoke of the three. But many other times in the New Testament, you will find the law and the prophets. And both of them together refer to the whole of the Old Testament or the whole of the Hebrew scriptures, the Tanakh. So let's consider this. Paul is using it that way here, that the law and the prophets represent all of those. There are many prophecies in the book of Psalms and even in Ecclesiastes to some degree and in the prophet, in Proverbs, in the wisdom writings. In Job, there are prophetic words in the book of Job. So even in the literature books, there are prophetic words that God has inspired to be written that have come to pass or will come to pass in the future. So consider some of these as part of the prophetic witness, the prophet's witnessing and giving evidence, testifying and confirming this righteousness of God that is revealed. Take Isaiah 53. You cannot read that and not understand that it confirms the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 59 has passages. Isaiah 11 has some. Psalm 22 has some. Psalm 2 Psalm 110, Psalm 45, Psalm 89. There are many psalms that have prophetic words in them. They are prophecies that testify to this. Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah 7, Ezekiel chapter 8, Ezekiel chapter 10. Even John the Baptist was a prophet that testified to the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus calls him the last of the prophets. Jesus included John the Baptist as a prophet. And John tells people, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. One of the last public declarations that John the Baptist makes to those who would hear him. And he is attesting to the righteousness of God now revealed. All of these, the law, the writings, and the prophets, confirm the righteousness of God revealed, separate from, without any need of, independent, and superseding the law. 
So what is this righteousness that supersedes the law? What is this righteousness that doesn't need the law, that is apart from it? He tells us here, he defines it clearly. You don't have to wonder. Always, this is one of the most basic principles of Scripture and of Bible study and Bible understanding. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. Paul makes it very clear. Read verse 22. He defines it right here. He says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ, in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. This righteousness of God is all about faith in Jesus for all sinners, no matter who you are. No matter what category you were in, in any of those first three chapters, there is a solution to your sin problem. There's only one, and his name is Jesus Christ or Yeshua, the Messiah in the Hebrew tongue. I want to begin to close out by reading a, a few final scriptures. First, I want to read John 14, verse 6. And it says this, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God has provided, but he has provided one way. He has a prescribed order. You cannot come to God just any way you want to. And all religions, no other religions go to God. No other religions will lead you to God. There are no other roads that you can take to get there. It's all in Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can save you from your sins. He is the only one who can wash away your sins. He is the only one who can free you from the power of sin and from its guilt and shame for what has happened in the past. There's only one, but there is one. Hallelujah. And he is able by himself. He is strong enough to do it. He doesn't need the law. He doesn't need, it's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And we preach him and him crucified, just like Paul said he did. He did. Jesus, it's all about Jesus. He is the only way. Praise God, he is a new and living way. I want to read also the last scripture for today. Hebrews chapter 10, and I want to read verse 19 through 22. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
Let Jesus wash you clean of your sins. Let Jesus draw you near to him and free you from that evil conscience and cleanse you of all of your sins. It's all about him. The Bible is one book with one author, the Holy Spirit, and it's all about one central figure, Jesus Christ. Everything points to him, including the law and the prophets, according to the Apostle Paul. Hallelujah. And we also, just like John the Baptist, point you to him and say to you, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He will save by simple faith all who believe in Jesus Christ. No matter what your sin is, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, if you will call upon him, in true, sincere faith and believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and that alone, you can be saved. He is calling you and he's made provision. There's one solution to the sin problem and his name is Jesus Christ. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And that, Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you in Jesus' name. Don't resist him. Call upon him today. In Jesus' name, I pray this for you. Amen.